I, uh, I, I hope it comes across from the pulpit the way that it, 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 it sits in my heart. That honestly, it has been a transformative study when you start looking at all the things God gives the church. And from, from just the simple himself, Emmanuel, God with us, and that translate into uh, the Holy Ghost that's God in us. And then uh, we, we, we talked about God's gift is you and how much God has invested in you and how much he loves you. And that led us into that you, uh, you're you not just a member of this church. You're not just a part of the church. But you need to understand that you are a essential member of the body of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit more uh, tonight about that, the, 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 the body of Christ and what that means. And when you begin to look at the body of Christ in terms of everyone playing a part, everyone being a member of the body, it will transform the way you look at church. And honestly, today I sat in my office and uh, I began to realize that it, it, if, if we'll catch what I believe the Word of God is talking about tonight, it's going to, to be a completely different paradigm of what you and I think church is. That church is far more than just coming and sitting on a pew, and so we're going we're gonna to get into that here in a moment. But it's God's gift. God doesn't do anything by accident. God doesn't give useless gifts. And if you ever received a useless gift at Christmas time, it's usually like a white elephant gift or something like that, but just an absolutely useless gift, uh, you know, one of those things that you're never going to use, and if you're smart, you don't take any stickers off of it, you put it up at the top of your closet, and then you give it away later because you never know when you need a gift. But uh, a useless gift, God doesn't have useless gifts. I would also, and I preached a message about this, that God doesn't have any useless parts in his body. They tell us that the appendix is an absolutely useless part in our body. They think maybe way back in our history perhaps it had a, a, a use if we were, uh, you know, more of a grain-based diet or something like that. But now it, the appendix is useless. God doesn't have any useless members in the body of Christ. And the church, and I mean that corporately, the church of the living God was designed for everyone to play a part in it. And I will tell you that no matter what, God's church is going to prevail. We've got Bible for that. And, and if, if everybody in this church today up and walked out and backslid and didn't love God anymore, it will hurt this local church, but it will not destroy the promise and the, and the thing that God has. But I would like to tell you that that's not his design. His design is for you to play a part in it. And um, today, my, my study consisted a lot of some conversations. I had several different conversations. And sometimes, you know the Bible, that verse that says, uh, iron sharpeneth iron? I don't know if any of you operate like this, but sometimes I just have to talk it out. I, I see it. I, I've got an, an idea, but sometimes I just need to talk it out. And in talking it and discussing it, it opens up. And so uh, I, I begin to look at that, begin to see that. And so I had several long conversations today with, with different people. And in that, we just kind of gave each other Bible stu studies. And part of this is going to come out. But um, I wanna, the, the first conversation I had was with my father. Uh, I call him quite often, and, and invariably when I call him, he has... Uh, just a, a right word for me. And in doing so, he, he 
he relayed a story of my grandfather, his dad, and it, it just fits with everything I want to do. And I want my dad to come. I figured it would be better to let him tell the story than me. And I want my dad to come, and I want you, him to tell you about something that he learned from his father. And, uh, and then we're going to take that and launch into it. Hallelujah. Well, I will be glad to tell you. About 10 years ago, I had a conversation with my dad. At that point, he was right around 80 years of age, been married for 60 years at that point, a little over 60 years, and had been in church almost 60 years at that point. And I was curious. I had known him ever since I was a, a baby, but I really understood him when I got a little older, teenager, so I could understand what, what made him tick and what made him work, part of it anyway. But about 10 years ago, I, I asked him one time, Dad, how have you lived for God so successfully and so consistently for 60 years at that point? How have you done it? The church has, the local church there has had ups and downs and some problems and some successes and, and ebb and flow in, their, in the church life. But you've been so consistent through that, not just me as an observer, but the people in the church have commented to me about you. How did you, how did you manage to live so consistently for God? And he said, I took advantage of every gift God gave to me. And I misunderstood what he said at first because my mind immediately went to gifts of the Spirit, the gift of a wonderful wife, the gift of, of other apostolic believers to help him. And I misread what he, what he was intending. And I said, you, you mean like the gifts of the Spirit? No, no. You mean like your, your wonderful wife that God gave? No. He said, I mean like the five-fold ministry that God has placed into the church. God has given us, you help me with all the names because I'm on the spot and I'll forget some of them. But God has given to the church pastors and evangelists and teachers and apostles and prophets. And he's given those to the church. And our pastor doesn't fulfill every one of those roles every service. He fulfills some of those roles, many services, but he's aware and he brings in other people who fulfills other roles, but those are gifts that God brings to the church and to me. I make it a practice never to reject a gift from God. It's a gift that God gives me for my good. Those gifts never take away from me, they give to me. And so I've, I've just made it a practice never to reject a gift of God. And he was talking about the gift of a pastor, a teacher, and all of the other three of those ministries. And I appreciate that, and that's what my dad told me. The World Wide Web is kind of cool because you can find all sorts of stuff. Uh, and if you conduct yourself right, you can find some interesting, neat stuff. And did you know there's like a, a complete uh, sports world built around arm wrestling? Have you ever seen any professional arm wrestlers? You never seen it? You owe it to yourself to go Google professional arm wrestlers. Um, I mean, we're talking serious arm wrestlers. They have a specialized contraption that they, they get in. But what's interesting is, if you'll begin to look at them, you'll notice that they are very lopsided. 
if they're right-handed, and I go, you can find if if they're right-handed, their right arm and bicep is the size of my leg. Their left, not so much, because they don't care about winning with their left. They're never gonna they're never gonna play. So they they put all of their their practice, they put all of their their skills into one side. Any of you ever broken a bone in your body and had to be in a cast? If you were in a cast for a length of time, you will notice that that where, where that cast was, you can't use it, and so that 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 limb uh, begins to shrink in size, and uh, you know it, it begins to decrease, and you end up favoring the other side of your body. If you, if you had a broke leg, you'll realize you put all your weight on the other, and so when when you go back, you're off balance. And I begin to realize that in our church. If we aren't careful, we can get off balance just by, uh, uh, you know, pushing one of these of the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry. Let's see what the Bible says of that. And so, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Book of Ephesians, chapter four, and I'm going to read it quickly, uh, the first part of this chapter, because I want to just kind of remind you of a few things, and then I'll slow it down when we get to where I'm, I'm going. So let's look at the first 10 verses. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And this is the key. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God's gift. Therefore it says, when he, was, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what? Does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things or fulfill all things. Now, let's slow down and look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, or the English Standard Version says the shepherds and teachers. If you've been around teaching on this, you will hear it called the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry. There are others that will say it's the fivefold offices of the, the, the preaching or the pastoral roles. And so he gave those five things. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. If you will begin to read the book of Ephesians, you will find there is a common theme throughout it, and one of the most common themes in Ephesians is unity, togetherness, 
working together. Unity does not mean uniformness. Unity does not mean clones. Unity, unity means working together. Uh, if you've ever seen a, a, a intricate timepiece, I love the, the watches that are, that are kind of open and you can see the guts of that watch, the mechanisms working, and you see these incredibly tiny, detailed little gears and little pendulums and, and all of these mechanisms, and many of them are not using electricity. It's a, that they can be wound up and they just work because they're working in unity or harmony. They fit together. Paul begins to remind us that we are called to use the gifts that God has given us for the unity of the body of Christ. There's three lists, and throughout the last couple of weeks, I've, I've hit on these lists. There's the list of the gifts of the, uh, that, that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. And all of these lists are gifts, even spiritual gifts, that God has given to the church. And the more I study them, the more you have to put all the lists together. You can't just take one list and just look at that one list and say this is the only list you need or think that one of those lists is complete by itself. They all work together. And by the time we get done, I hope I can put some verses together that will show you that. These lists are all together. Now, Paul has written that some gifts are more important than others and, and some gifts may manifest themselves more than others. But at the end of the day, every one of those gifts need to be used within the context of the church. And so, if, if I could, for the let me just go over those five gifts. And like I did last Wednesday when I talked about the gifts of the Spirit and I gave you just the base understanding. I could again preach a message on each one of these. But first, there are the apostles. Now, if you talk to different theologians, you're going to get a different answer on what an apostle is in context of today. There are some that says the office of the apostle is not an office that is used today. It was strictly for the 12 disciples that watched Jesus and walked with Jesus and was there at his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I've heard people tell me that. And the problem with that is Paul was an apostle. And he did not see Jesus physically. He saw him at, at the road to Damascus. But Paul, as far as we can tell, was not there at the death and the burial and the resurrection. Paul was not there at the birth of the church. Paul was not there in the upper room. And so for, for what I would like to tell you today is that the, in my opinion, and I guess that's the best way I can tell you, because you may hear a difference of opinion somewhere, but in my opinion, the office of the apostle in this are those men and women who have been sent and commissioned for a particular place, for a particular work, and, and they say, God has sent me there, and I will do my work there no matter what happens. One of the pastors I talked to today, his name is Brother Dillingham, and, and uh, we had had some conversation about this earlier, and so I called him, followed him up, and he said, he said Brandon, he said, this is just me talking. He said, but God called me to the city of Dayton. And God called me not to just pastor a church, but God called me to reach my city. Whatever way it takes, he says, and the only way I know how to do that 
is to build the church. And he started that church, I think, 12 or 13 years ago. He said, but now we're in the place where we've got to start more churches. We've got we've to start them in this neighborhood. And we've got to go to this neighborhood. And, 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 and a, a apostle, in, in my understanding of this, is someone that has been sent or commissioned, said, this is where God sent me. The prophets, there is an element that they foretell. I, I spoke a little bit about the gift of prophecy. Someone who can, can speak and say, uh, uh, God is telling me that this is going to happen or this is going to come to pass. It's not fortune telling, it's foretelling. And God gives us sometimes that spiritual gift of prophecy where he, he lets humanity or he lets a person see what God can see. God knows the end from the beginning. And sometimes God allows a person to see the end. But if you allow me to take it away from the word prophecy and use the word prophet, and I want you to go back to the Old Testament because this is the best way I can describe it. Go back to the Old Testament. What, did the, what was the number one role of an Old Testament prophet? It was to proclaim the word of the Lord. Did the word of the Lord sometimes foretell something that was going to happen? Absolutely. But it was, the, it was the word of the Lord. They didn't have the privilege of a Bible. They didn't have the privilege of opening up a, a document that contained all of God's words. And so God, look back in Hebrews, God who in sundry times in divers manners spoke to us through the prophets. He would tell Jonah, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I've got a word for Nineveh. I've got a message for Nineveh. And Jonah, of course, he, he did, the, he, he did a, it wrong at first, but the, the thing was go to Nineveh and tell them what God's word says. And so if you will, another understanding or way of looking at prophets in this context is not just someone that God gives a spirit of prophecy to that can foretell an event, but it literally means to proclaim the word of God, to preach the word of God. Anyone that stands behind this pulpit is operating in this gift of the prophet. They are proclaiming, thus saith the word of God. There's two elements to a sermon. There's two elements to a preacher. They first have to know the word of God. If you don't know the word of God and you're trying to preach, you're in a dangerous place. You got to know the word of God. But then God will direct that preacher and God will direct that minister and he will not give more to his word, but he will clarify his word. He will give an understanding to his word. And so when a preacher stands behind this pulpit and preaches, they are preaching the word of God and God is giving clarity to what has already been said. That's the role of a prophet and we need that in our church. The evangelist. It's more than just preaching, but they are proclaiming the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are called to win the lost. If you will, the apostles and the prophets, they're laying the foundation for the church of God. They're laying the foundation for, for the believer. They're laying the foundation for someone to grow in maturity. But we need evangelists to come, and they're the ones that build on that foundation by winning the lost. A, a, a pastor can do the work of an evangelist. That's what Paul said to Timothy. But not every pastor is an evangelist. 
Not every preacher is an evangelist. But if this church is ever going to grow the way God wants it to grow, we've got to have an evangelist, whether it be through the work of ministry in this church or whether it's someone that comes in, but they come and they, they build on the foundation by winning the loss, by witnessing. It's the work of the evangelist. The pastor or the shepherd. Now, Paul, he, he, many times he links these two together. It's because a pastor, a shepherd, has two distinct roles. A pastor, a, 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 a pastor is, a shepherd feeds the flock. That's what a teacher is. A teacher is someone that teaches the word. It's, it's feeding the flock. What I'm doing right now is teaching the word. Not preaching. There's a little bit different. Preaching has a different context. It's not just how loud I get. It's not how forceful I get. But there's a difference between preaching and proclaiming and teaching. What I'm doing is is feeding your spirit with the word, the bread that God talks about, that, that, that daily bread. So the pastor needs to feed the sheep. But the pastor also needs to rule and lead the sheep. And I'm going to explain this in a moment. And unfortunately... We're in this place where, and not none of y'all, y'all, y'all have been so incredible, and I, I'm humbled, and I, I, I don't, I don't take lightly the office of, of that I have been called to to pastor this great congregation. But this idea that pastors need to just get up and feed their congregation is a postmodernistic fallacy. Uh, the the office of the pastor is not just to come on a Sunday morning, preach a nice, simple, easy message, and let you go home and say, "Well, I got fed." But the pastor's job is to lead and guide and protect. And even Paul said to Timothy, you got to learn to rebuke and exhort and reprove with all long suffering. And, and, and there's a time that, and I don't like doing it. You can ask my wife. You can ask my dad who uh, serves as an elder here. I don't like reproving. I don't like having to have those deep conversations where, where, where you, you got to kind of you know, thump a little bit. But what good would a pastor be? What good would a shepherd be if they allowed the sheep to do whatever? That's why the Bible, that's why in the, in the Psalms, the shepherd Psalms, Psalms 23, he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod was an instrument of correction. It was an instrument of protection even. It could, the rod was almost like a club from what I can understand. They could, they could put a herd on a lion a, 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 or something of that nature. But the staff was something that led and guided and strengthened. And, and the pastor needs to do both. He needs to be a shepherd. He needs to be a teacher. So you have these, this five-fold ministry. And my dad was absolutely correct in what he said that that. In, in, as a pastor, and, and I know that pastor is part of that, but let me just kind of put pastor in terms of not a shepherd, but just the pastor of a local congregation. There will be moments in which a pastor will operate in these roles at, at various times, but a pastor cannot operate in all five of those roles simultaneously. And so it is, it's imperative that this church has those five roles operating on a consistent basis. And one thing that I would like to change our understanding, or maybe you don't need changing, I did, is that these should not be looked at as an office. Sometimes we like to just put everything in nice, perfect little boxes. 
there's other places in the Word of God, especially in Timothy, because Paul is dealing with Timothy, who is a who is a pastor, a bishop, an overseer of a work, and Paul is teaching Timothy how to lead a church, and he talks about the office of a deacon. He says a deacon, and he gives a whole bunch of requirements because that is an office. But these should not be looked at as offices, but they should be looked at as giftings. There are moments in which people operate in these giftings. Now, some operate in these giftings uh, 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 all the time. I, I know some men, and, and I'll use the, 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 the male gender. I, I've known women as well, but I've known some that they operate in that office, in that gifting, not office, in that gifting of an evangelist every time they minister. I've known others who operate in that gifting of teaching. But in a church, we need all of it. Whether I can do it behind the pulpit, whether I can lead, whether Brother Lee or any of our other ministers can do that, it has to happen. And here is why. Look at verse 12. All of those giftings have one purpose. Why do we have pastors? Why do we have teachers? Why do we have evangelists? Why do we have apostles? Why do we have prophets? Why? To equip the saints. That word equip means to perfect the saints. So first off, I want you to understand this. In fact, who's back there? Brother Andy, would you put up uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12? I want you to keep it up there for for just a little bit until I kind of go off of it. Because this is where I want you to change the paradigm. This is where I want you to change how you view church, how you view what's going on. And, and the more I studied it, and the more I prayed, and the more I, I, I allowed myself to talk through this, the more I realized we've got to do church differently. And it's a Wednesday night, the Wednesday before Christmas, Not that I'm ever going to waste a sermon. Not that I'm ever going to waste a service. And I don't mean that. But I'm going to come back to this on another time pretty soon. Because this is the way God intends. God never intended the church to be, y'all come, sit on the pew, let a minister get back here, preach a little bit, and y'all go home. But he said, no, I've given the church these apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Any English scholars in the house? According to the way that this sentence, how many of you remember remember sentence diagramming in school? Ever done that? Who's doing the work of the ministry? Now you got to talk louder. Who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints. Hmm. That's not traditional church. Traditional church, the ministers do the work. The ministers do the ministry. But I believe God is trying to explain to you and I that the body of Christ is called for a purpose. And the body of Christ, you are called to do the ministry, the work of the ministry for the building up the body, building up the body of Christ. That perfection, that that the equipping, the perfecting. Here's what it means. Um it means if I sent you to do a job, it's one thing for me to tell you, Brother Dakota, go do this work over here, okay? I need you to go paint the, you know, paint the walls. I need you to paint the walls. I'm, I'm, I'm sending you. That's going to be your work. That's going to be your ministry is paint the walls. And he goes there and he's, he's willing to do it. He's ready to do it. He has a desire to do it. He says, whatever you say, Pastor. And he gets there to the wall and he just stands there. 
because he has no paintbrush. I didn't give him any paint. I didn't give him a roller. I didn't give him anything. And sometimes that's how we, we like church. We say, go do this. And there's people that want to do it. They want to teach a home Bible study. They want to witness. They want to, they want to do a P7 club. They, they, they want to get involved. But the Bible says it's the role of this, this office of these five-fold ministries. It's to equip the saints. It's to say, I want you to do this, but here's a paintbrush. And here's the paint. And in fact, let me show you how to do it for a little bit. Let me, let me show you the proper rolling technique. And let me show you how you do it. The Bible says that the ministry is not done by the ministers. The ministry is done by the body of Christ. My job as pastor is to equip you for the calling that God has called you to. How long do we do it? Verse 13. Go to verse 13, Brother Andy. Here's how long this is going to take place. Until we all obtain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, another version says, to perfect man. Wives, y'all hear that? There is such thing as a perfect man, Sister Buford. It's right here. We're... we're, we're No, that's not what it means. I know Mark likes the verse that says Mark, the perfect man, but he's kind of taking that out of context. It's not Mark the... The, 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 the proper noun, it's Mark, like, look and, you know, pay close attention to. But, you know, so this isn't talking about perfect men in that sense. But what it's talking to is we are called to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we obtain to the unity of the faith. Can I give you a real simple definition of the unity of faith? Are you ready? One day that trumpet's going to sound. And at that sound, Every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every atheist, every agnostic, every Satan worshiper, you can go down the list. That's the unity of the faith we're talking about. There's going to be a day where everybody's going to know he's Lord and that the word of God he gave was absolute truth. Has that happened yet? Not a chance. So what does that mean? we got to keep working we got to keep ministering, got to keep building up to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Later on in verse 15 it says, rather that we speak the truth in love, that we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ. There's, there's two things. Here, here's how I gauged. I've learned this. I used to think that, that the gauge of being a good pastor was you know, how, how many amens I got in a sermon or, or, or how many people come to church. But I've learned over the last 10 years that should not be the measure of how I, I, I look at the ministry that God has given. Here's, there, there's two uh, uh, benchmarks that I have learned that will let me know if I'm being effective as a pastor. Number one, are you Christ-like? In the most simplest terms, are you a Christian? Not just say it, but do you act it? Are there fruits of the Spirit acting in you? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, maintenance. Have, have, you, have you gotten to be like Him? That's the first mark. The second benchmark is, are you doing the work of Christ? Sometimes we forget that second one. 
Are we ministering as Christ's representatives? Are we ministering as his arms and his feet? Why? Because it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God designed the body of Christ in absolute perfection. Let's take the, the human physical body. Two, I think, what is it, 206 bones? Seems like it's thousands, maybe millions of miles of nerves if you could string them together. All these systems working together. Can God do it without you? Yeah. But that's not his plan. There's, a, there's an incredible story that's going around right now. There's a young lady, young girl, I think she's a gymnast, a gymnast and, and somewhere, I don't know why, she lost or, or they had to amputate her her like her knee. They had to, you know, basically take her knee out and they couldn't replace it. And so she was trying to figure out what she was going to do in her life. And she could she could have put it, you know, they could have operated and, and put a, 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 a prosthetic leg, but she would have never been able to do what she wanted to do as a gymnast. And so what they did, her 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 ankle joint was fine. Now I, I, you need to see a picture of it because they, they show a picture and it's so weird. But what they did is they took her ankle and they attached it to her femur right here. But her ain't her foot, so our foot moves up and down. They turned it backwards so that it moves. And her, her ankle is now where her knee is, and because they flipped it backwards, it now operates like a knee. And then she can slip a prosthetic leg over that foot, and she has a, a perfectly operating knee. Science is incredible. Now, She's able to do her gymnast routine. She's able to do that. But that's not how God intended the body to be. But something was missing. And so will God go to great lengths to make the church grow? And will he find other ways to do it? Yes. But he has a plan. And you're part of that plan. Who you are and what you are matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. I spent a lot of time on this last Wednesday. But it says in verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, at the end of, of, of this, so if you go to there to um, 1 Corinthians at the end, verse uh, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. If you're just looking at this separate, you see two different lists. But what I'm wanting you to understand is you got to put them together and see them together. Don't look at it as offices. Don't look at it as a, you know, oh, that that pastor, you know, that's a pastor and that's an evangelist. Look at it as giftings and callings that are used within the ministry. We need that ministry of the apostles, the one that says, I'm sent for that city. I'm sent for that place. And, and I'm here for the long haul. I'm here for the long haul. I told my wife when we were looking and, 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 and wanting to accept the pastor of this church, I said, I don't know what God's plan is. I can't speak for God. I'm not going to box God in. But I'm here for the long haul. 
And God has allowed this church to see it. We need that prophet. We need that ministry. Thank you, every one of you ministers that stand behind this pulpit and without uh, 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 hesitation proclaim the word of God. We need that in this church. We need that teacher, that teaching, that, that, that allows that us to build on a foundation. We need the, the pastor, the shepherd. We need all of that. We need that help and that gifts of administration. I will tell you that in my ministry, I need that gift of administration. <laughs> I need that gift of organization. And sometimes it's not by me. You can ask my wife. But I like the fact that I can surround myself by those who can. Who can. I, uh, I want you to turn with me because I want to I bring it all home right now. So I want you to turn in your Bibles. Hopefully you have your Bibles. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 1. And I want to show you how all of this fits together. This is Paul towards the end of his life talking to a younger minister by the name of Timothy. Paul has called Timothy his son in the gospel. Paul has invested in Timothy. Timothy is now pastoring. Timothy is now you know, seeing revival in, in churches and areas. But he says this. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering or, or with complete patience and teaching. This is pastoral ministry in a nutshell. First off, Timothy was sent to a a city. Timothy was an apostle. God had called him to a place and now Timothy said, how do I reach it? God, help me reach it. I, I can't do it by just one church. I can't do it by just one service. Lord, help me. I, I, I got to have something started here and I, I got to have a house church over here and I, I got to train new ministers and I've got to do it. He was, in a, he was a, an, an apostle and then he said, preach the word. That's the office of a prophet. Proclaim Thus saith the word of the Lord. Timothy was an evangelist. You can't, you can't build the church if you don't have that evangelist spirit moving. It's, there, there's a few times in, in, in uh, uh, the, the Bible, just two really two times that we use the word evangelist. One is right here. Later on it says, uh, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And then you have the evangelist. Philip, who God sent him, he was in Samaria having a great revival and God sent him into the desert and he met with a, a, a guy riding a, a, a chariot, an Ethiopian eunuch and he witnessed to that Ethiopian eunuch and by the time he got done, there was water and they were baptizing and God was doing a miracle. Tim, or Timothy, do the work of evangelist. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's that pastor. That's that shepherd. That's the one that sometimes has to get his hands dirty. That's the teacher that's feeding and training. And you got to do it with all patience and with teaching. But now I want to turn the page. And I want to put the ball back in your court. So I want you to look at verse number three. I've always often told you that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every Bible verse, especially Bible verses that, are, that, that are, are telling you something, there is an unspoken opposite of that verse. 
For example, thou shalt not lie. That's a negative statement. Don't lie. Unspoken is the positive. Thou shalt tell the truth. I'm not adding to the Bible. That's just the understanding. Don't lie. Tell the truth. So watch this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the, into myths. That's the negative. But here's the responsibility. I've just preached a lot about what the responsibility that I have as a pastor and minister is. I gotta do the work in evangelist. I gotta, I gotta make sure this church has got that five-fold giftings operating in it. I've gotta, I've gotta know the word. I've gotta preach the word. I've gotta be instant in season and out of season. But what is the responsibility of those who sit on the pew? Well, how about let's look at it in the positive? Endure sound teaching and accumulate to themselves teachers that tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. See, I, I, I still have pastors in my life. And every once in a while, they have to tell me, and they've done it, even as, as, as close as this year. They've spoken in my life and said, Brandon, why are you doing that? Or have you, have you thought about doing something different? And I have to make a decision. Do I accept what they say because they're my pastor or do I say you know what I'm going to find me a pastor that tells me what I want to hear and I walk away your job is to say I'm coming and I want you to equip me tell me pastor what you what I need to hear tell me what I need to do teach me I want to learn equip me for the ministry of the kingdom of God he goes on to say to Timothy but as for you, Timothy, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So as I begin to close this, I'm going I'm to step lightly because I don't want to ever, ever be accused of taking a Bible verse out of context. Colossians tells us that the fullness of God dwelled bodily in Christ Jesus. All and everything that God was, is, will ever be became flesh and dwelt among us. But I was sitting in my office and I began to think that the fullness of Jesus Christ, His ministry, and His calling dwells in the body now, here's the difference. There's never going to be another Jesus. All right? There's never going to be another time that God fully becomes man and walks down here. But God has given His Spirit in each one of us, I pray. But here's the thing. God, it's just impossible, Brother Anthony. I don't care how spiritual you are. There ain't a chance that all of God can dwell right there. You couldn't handle it. You'd explode but God says the fullness will be in the body. So you begin to think of the body. Ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, two ears, one nose. Muscle groups, some muscles that pull, some muscles that push. 
the circulatory system and the lymphatic system and the, and the nervous system and the skeletal system and all of that. It works together because God has a plan and the fullness of what God wants to do now is in His body. So, in order to do this, I want to make a statement. And I want you to, I hope you you catch it. That God never intended the church to just be a support system for the ministry. But instead, God designed the ministry to be a support system for the saints. The equipping, the training, the teaching, the sending out of the body of Christ. It's much like a a child. It's that maturing of the body. You you have a little child and you got to teach them and for a while the mom and the dad teach and then later on you might send them to preschool and they get to learn their colors and and then they go to school and there's teachers that are training them why all of that works together for that child to mature and all of this is working together for the body of Christ to mature to be used the way God intended I will make one other statement as you stand and this is where I told you that that I'm going to have to come back and revisit it I got to I I, got to come back and and hit it probably more than once. But it's the vision that God has given me for this church. And especially as we begin to look into the new year. And and we'll have a lot more time that we introduce our theme and we kick off. Because I'm telling you, I cannot wait for what God is going to do. He has built an incredible foundation this year. I'm looking at it right now. Listen to me. God has not called us together a church together that's the traditional model of church church is 10 o'clock on Sunday so the church gathers people say I went to church we were gathered I went to church we heard this music we worshiped we heard the preaching I went to church God has never called us to gather a church but what he has called us is to send the church out what we do here is just equipping us for what God has called us to do outside this wall. This isn't the church. In fact, to be honest, this is really just a a Bible college, if you will. This is where you train the ministers. This is where you come to church and, yeah, sometimes you you need to be uplifted. Sometimes you need to be edified. Sometimes you need to be reproved. Sometimes you need to learn. This is just teaching the true church is what this body this body does outside these walls. And he gives us the fivefold ministry, those fivefold callings to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's not going to be pastor. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm going to do it. I'm going to teach as many home Bible studies as I possibly can teach. I'm going to witness as much as I can. I'm going to do my part. Not because I'm pastor because I'm part of the body of Christ. You understand where I'm getting at? What is God equipping you to do? I wonder if you could close your eyes. And I wonder if you could let the word that we've just preached begin to speak to you. We're changing the paradigm a little bit. What do you, what is God's purpose in your life? What is God's calling in your life? 
Father, I'm asking right now, I've preached the word as best I can. Now I'm asking you let that word fall on ears that are receptive and ears that are hungry to receive it. And Lord God, I'm asking that you would allow us to keep growing, keep maturing, keep being perfected until we come to the fullness of the understanding that God, you have called each of us to be ministers.